This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. In the Lord's Prayer, we've said the reason that's a bad thing is because it's in the Lord's Prayer that God reveals himself, who he truly is, and how he wants you to relate to him. Relating to God is not subjective. It's not something that you feel like. It's something that is. So you'll hear people say from time to time, well, I believe God is this way, and I believe God is that way. It really doesn't matter what you believe God is like. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. And in this episode, we bring you Pastor Jeff's final message in our series on the Lord's Prayer. It's called Yours is the Kingdom. This series has been helping us take a fresh look at the Lord's Prayer. And today, Pastor Jeff starts with a summary of what's been covered so far, and then he moves to Luke chapter 20, verse 9. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 20. Yes, I know we're finishing or completing the series on the Lord's Prayer, but as we've said already, uh, every line of the Lord's Prayer, while teaching you the manner in which God wants us to relate to Him, uh, Jesus tells another story somewhere in the Gospels to kind of expound upon each line of the Lord's Prayer. So we're at the last line now. So Luke 20, uh, verse 9, we'll get to that in a moment. I want to play a little game with you, uh, see how awake you are, okay? You ready? Uh, The tree that grows from an acorn is called an oak. (laughs) The vapor that rises from fire is called smoke. The sound a frog makes is called... (laughs) Who let you in here? The tree that grows from an acorn is called... The vapor that rises from fire is called... The sound a frog makes is called a, and the white of an egg is called a, the white of an egg is called a yolk? Okay, the the point I'm trying to make is you you can get brain dead sometimes and just go through the motions. That's the problem with the Lord's Prayer. This prayer packs a huge punch, but for a lot of us, We've read it or said it so many times, we forgot the purpose of it and the power of it. I used the example the first day we started this series, that I had an uncle who has a train go right behind his house at 2 a.m. every morning. And I spent the night with that uncle. When the train first came through, I yelled and screamed. I thought it was an earthquake. I thought we were dying. I was like eight or nine years old. And I ran into his bedroom and said, what's going on? He said, "What, what, what do you mean what's going on? He had grown immune to it. Imagine a train literally probably no more than 15 feet out your back window 
And it doesn't even bother you anymore because you've heard it so often. It doesn't even wake you up. In the Lord's Prayer, we've said the reason that's a bad thing is because it's in the Lord's Prayer that God reveals himself, who he truly is, and how he wants you to relate to him. Relating to God is not subjective. It's not something that you feel like. It's something that is. So you'll hear people say from time to time, well, I believe God is this way, and I believe God is that way. It really doesn't matter what you believe God is like. The question is, what does the scripture reveal that God is truly like? And you've learned some powerful things so far, right? Number one, our Father, who art in heaven, that is our Father. So you relate to God on the basis like a child would a father, not like an employee would an employer. So you're not manipulating God and trying to get yourself in a situation where he has to bless you. You're relating to him as a father, as a child would a father. You're trusting that God has your best interest in mind. So a, a good father's not going to give anything to the child that would ultimately destroy the child, right? So when you come to God in prayer, you're trusting God's answer as a father would, a would relate to a child. We know that your father's in heaven, which means he has a vantage point that you don't have, which means there are things that happen in your life that you may not be able to connect the dots, but he can. You with me? Yeah. All right, stay with me here. Stay with me. It's his kingdom coming, not yours, right? Everything that happens in your life is about his kingdom coming or becoming a reality on earth. So even though it may cause you a little pain, even though you may not understand it, the promise that you have in prayer is that God's kingdom is always coming to earth in some shape or fashion that you maybe cannot see because he's in heaven and you don't have the vantage point that he has. When you come to God, you come as a person not entitled. That's why Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. You're assuming that everything you have is a gift from God, that God owes you nothing, but everything you have is a gift, your life, your breath, everything. So as a pastor doing this for 30 years, I'll often have people say, well, I don't know why God didn't do this. And I always like to ask the question, why do you think God owes you anything? Do, 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 you, do you think that God owes you a good life? And if you do think God owes you a good life, on what basis do you assume God owes you a good life? Now, what God has done for you, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So without us even seeking God, God sought us and provided a way where we could be part of a kingdom that will last forever. So the biggest obstacle in your life has already been overcome on the cross. When you die, you're going to be with God in heaven for eternity. That's a pretty big gift. But while you're here, listen, he owns you. God owns you. Between this time you're born and the time that you die, he owns you. He owns you for a reason. And the reason is that he might bring his kingdom up there, down here in your life. Now, we're going to talk about what that looks like in a second. And then finally, Stephen Roy talked about you, about how every day of your life is going to be a battle. There are going to be temptations you face. And the great temptation that the Lord's Prayer is talking about is when things go wrong in your life, you are tempted to believe that God is no longer sovereign, that his kingdom is not coming, and that somehow you're entitled and God owes you an easy life. That's the temptation of life. And then finally, we come to the last statement in the Lord's Prayer, which says what? Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, some of your Bibles won't even have that. And the reason is because it wasn't listed in some of the earliest manuscripts. Well, why is it in your Bible then? Well, first of all, scholars will tell you it wasn't in the early manuscripts, but it's in the Bible because oral tradition was so strong that it was part and parcel of the first church, which is why it's included in your scripture. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Do you know what Jesus is doing in this prayer? 
He's basically separating the genuine article from the pretender and posers. <laughs> he's actually telling you in one line, okay, if you really want to know who's pretending, who's posing, and who's a genuine, authentic Christ follower, it comes down to this. The genuine Christ follower lives their lives with this attitude. It's not my kingdom, it's yours. It's not my power, it's yours. It's not my glory, it's your glory. So I want to give you an IQ test, an irritability quotient. I want to find out how irritable you are and how irritated you are when I ask you to make these statements. You ready? Okay. You're going to repeat the first one after me. And the first one goes like this. Life is not about my kingdom. Can you say that on the count of three? One, two, three. Life is not about my one more time. Life is not about my now, it's easy to say, do you really believe it? Because if it's not about your kingdom, it means somebody else is the king and somebody else is owning the kingdom and you just happen to be a subject in a kingdom that you don't own, which means that not only does your life not belong to you, but nothing you have ultimately belongs to you. It belongs to somebody else. It's just been entrusted to you, which means that your house is not really your house. Your car is not really your car. Your money's not really your money. And this business that you've grown is not really your business. But these are all blessings of God. For what reason? Uh, this is going to make some of you really mad. That's okay. I, I love to see the look on your faces. You get to use these things that you have for your own purposes. That's true. I got it. But ultimately, the reason you have these things is God is, has given them to you and he's waiting on you to see if you truly do believe that the ultimate thing in life is not about your kingdom and building your, your kingdom or your city, but building the city and the kingdom of God. Now, let me show you a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 20. That's why I ask you to turn there because every time Jesus makes a statement, one line in the Lord's prayer, he always follows it up with a parable later in the gospels to explain it. Here's what he says. He went on to tell people, I'm in verse nine of Luke 20, a man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send him my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, <clears throat> the assumption in the first century, even in a pre-capitalistic society, was this that the tenants managed the vineyard on behalf of the owner. The tenants managed the vineyard on behalf of the owner. And they did so, one, by his word, and two, for his profit. You've heard me say this before. Now, let's make sure we understand. Who's the tenant here? The tenant is you and me. The owner is God. And what does God own? Everything. So you could substitute the word body for vineyard. He owns your body. He owns your life. He owns your car, your house. He owns it all. He's the owner. You're the tenant. You're managing what God has entrusted for you to manage. And you are to manage it two ways. One, by his word. In other words, he gives you the roadmap. You can't use your body any old way you want to because you don't own it. He owns it. So you use your body the way he tells you to because he's the owner. Uh, you use your house the way he tells you to. 
In other words, you probably shouldn't use it as a brothel, <laughs> but you could use it as a welcoming place. You use your car the way God wants you to. It's still your car and you get to drive it back and forth to work and you still get to use it, but ultimately it's God's car, which means you probably shouldn't use it as a getaway car to rob banks, but you could use it to take food and supplies to those who are in need. You with me? So you can use it for these purposes, but ultimately, everything that you have, if God is truly the owner and you're the tenant, everything ultimately belongs to him. So when you stand face to face with God, he's simply going to ask you a question. And he already knows the answer is just for you, not for him. Did you really believe and live like it was about my kingdom and using all the things you had to build my kingdom? And as we manage the things God has given us, we do by his word in his parameters and then second for his profit. So everything that you have, everything that you own is supposed to turn a profit for God. Now you still turn a profit. Nothing wrong with building a business, nothing wrong with, with working hard, uh, getting an education, trying to uh, uh, take care of yourself and your family. Nothing wrong. That's a holy good thing, man. As long as you know ultimately your ultimate pursuit, your ultimate objective, your ultimate goal is to build the kingdom of God in your life. So God gets priority. And if you want to know if he has priority, just... Start looking at the way you use the things he's given you. Now, the desired outcome of all that is in your possession is determined by the vision and objectives of the owner. And the vision and objective of the owner is what? It is not the will of God that one, even one person would be lost, that all men come to salvation. How are you using everything God has given you that others may come to salvation? Every time I think of this, I go back to that bicycle race in India. You win by finishing last. Now, the key is you have to balance yourself on the bike. If you, if, if you can balance on the bike, now see, as soon as you put your foot down, you're disqualified. You've got to balance yourself on the bike and go as slow as possible over 20 yards. And the last one across the line wins. Now, you imagine you and I showing up, and there's a bicycle race, and we grab the bike out of the trunk, and we think, cool, race, whistle blows, zoom, we zoom right across to be first, only to discover we're last. The point is, it's important to know what your life's objective is. I go back to the Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. I've learned to define life backwards, first determine the goal, and then live life accordingly. So the question is, are you living your life in such a way that it is proof that the most important thing, not the only thing, but the most important thing to you is using everything God has given you to build his kingdom. Yes or no? And the Bible says, if every time God blesses you, you're storing and storing, building bigger houses, bigger barns, bigger cars, then the answer is no. But if you're living in what you need in order that you might give as much away as possible, not only talking about your time and your talents and your money, all that stuff, then if you're living that way, it proves that you really do believe your kingdom come. So where are you? I think none of us do this well, myself included. What do we do? Repent. Repent. Please don't ever walk out and say, well, Pastor Jeff doesn't do it, so that means I'm okay. <laughs> no, that means we're all in trouble. I look at my life, and I, I got a chance to do that this week. I walk into a staff meeting. I have my agenda. I have my list, my goals, my objectives, my everything. What does that mean? I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, this is what I want to do today. This is what I want to achieve. This is where I want to go. This is how I want the staff to respond. What does all that mean? I walk into my home after a day's hard work. My slippers are by the front door. The newspaper's in a special chair. There's a cup of coffee on a tray with chocolate treats waiting for me, and all my children gather around me to honor me. What does it mean? It means I'm in the wrong house. That's what that means. That's what that means. 
This past week, I met two guys, and they, there was quite a distinction. Now, stay with me here. One guy, one guy, after about 20 minutes, I realized, at first I thought, who is this guy? So I just walked over to talk to him on the driving range. And he had holes in his top of his shoes, tattered shorts and t-shirts. And I could tell when I said, hey man, how you doing? I hope you're having a good day. He wanted to talk, so we talked. I learned about this guy. This guy is a multimillionaire. He has a Boston Red Sox hat. And basically, he worked hard all of his life and just golfing and retiring, having fun, but incredibly miserable. So even though he didn't know I was a pastor or he didn't know me from anybody else, the conversation quickly moved in. What, you know, what am I doing? Was, to me, it was a divine appointment for him. And I just reminded him because your, your, your kingdom's perishing and you know it. You're going to die still. Even though you made all this money and you built all these houses, nothing wrong with that. But you know down deep inside, if that's it, you're going to die and it's all, it's all gone to waste. What happens next? Then I walked over and I met another young guy who actually is a, uh, plays golf for a local university team. Now, so it, amazing, 10 minutes between the two conversations, I walk over, he was the one working on the range, and I started talking to him. He said, yeah, I'm doing this for a summer job. But I said, well, how much are you making? I said, it doesn't matter. My dad just wants me to do it. He gives me everything I need. His dad's a multimillionaire as well. And he's just playing golf because he wants to be a, a PGA Tour pro. And the more I talk to this kid, the more you realize his whole significance is wrapped up into this. He's actually miserable because he's afraid he's going to fail his father and afraid he's not going to find his ultimate purpose in life. It, how do you do that in one day within two hours, have those conversations? And I just want to say to some of you that some of you are tired and you're weary because you still think that everything is about your kingdom and you're competing with your brother or your sister or your neighbor or some high school person, or you're trying to prove to the world that you matter by how much stuff you have, which is the antithesis of what God says about his kingdom and your security and your identity. And that's why you're so anxious and depressed. And by the way, if you're one of the persons that really believes that this world's still all about your kingdom, then you don't really have any deep, deep relationships with people. Your, your, your relationships are superficial. And the reason is because you, you use everybody for your ultimate. You see people as a tool to be used to help you get what you want. And you become like Yertle the Turtle. That great theologian and philosopher, Dr. Seuss, wrote about you a long time ago in a poem or a work about Yertle the Turtle. Because Yertle the Turtle says, I'm Yertle the Turtle and I'm king of all I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. King Yertle is convinced that everyone exists for his purposes. He thinks he's the center of the universe and his significance comes from getting more and more stuff and having more and more power. And so finally one day, he demands that all the other turtles in the little pond stack on top of each other so that he can climb up and be on the top. And all the little turtles, we're not told why by Dr. Seuss they agree to do so, but they do. So he uses all the little turtles for his purposes. And then he stands up and he says, look at me, I'm Yurtle the turtle. Oh, marvelous me, for I'm ruler of all that I see. But like all earthly kingdoms, they're so shakable. And Dr. Seuss writes, and then the turtle on the bottom did a plain little thing. He burped. <laughs> and that thing shook the throne of the king. And today that great turtle, that marvelous sea, is king of the mud because that's all he can see. The point is, not only living for your own kingdom, when you live like you're the owner and you determine everything about your life, 
where you live, what you do, what membership you want, into what club, into what community. When that's your goal, there's two problems. Number one, it's arrogant because you think it's all about you. And two, you're stupid because that kingdom will come crashing down just like that. Jesus says, no matter what you've been led to believe, your agenda, your achievements, your career, your opportunities, if you just keep stacking things higher and higher, no matter how many selfies you take, no matter how much money you make, no matter how well known you become, if you lay up treasures, all your treasures on this earth without concern for the ultimate kingdom, you'll not only die a little today, but in the world to come. Now, here's a good indication the other two move quickly, so stay with me. Here's a good indication that you're on the wrong path. In the parable, in verse 10, here's what the Bible says. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now, why on earth would you do that? So here's the story. The owner owns the vineyard. He sends one of his servants to collect. Okay, you get to use the vineyard. You can take whatever's in there, but here's my part. And they beat him up. And then remember, he sends another, he beat him up, sent another, but then he sends his son. There's a gospel story here, but there's a story long before we get to the gospel, which is what? Arrogance. I thought about this. Okay. The sermon is not about money, but at least it applies there too, right? Here's what I've, here's what I've noticed as a pastor. If I come to you and I talk to you about your marriage, you're probably going to say, okay, pastor, yeah, you can talk to us about our marriage. If I come to you and talk to you about your kids, okay, pastor, come talk to us about our kids. If I talk to you about, hey, um, how are you spending your time? You're going to let me talk to you about your time. But if I come to you and tell you I want to talk about, about your money, what are you going to tell me? Come on. None of your business. Why? Let me explain why. My daughter, a couple of years ago, when she was taking Thai in Thailand at Payup University, we went with her for a couple of weeks and she came to me and she basically said to me, you don't love me. When she said that, I want to tell you, I have not been that mad in a long, long time. I was so mad. In fact, I was so mad that when her mother joined in to say, you know, your daughter's right. You do nice things for her. You don't do them for her. You do them for you to make yourself feel better. When my wife said that, do you know, I've only told my wife to shut up one time. Now, it's, it was the last time I'll ever tell her, but I've only done it one time. Why would, I do, why, would I, why would I do that? That's how angry. Guys, you ever been that angry? But why was I angry? Because it's true. It's true. And I am hoping that I've turned things around since. The reason you get so angry is because you know it's true. If you were really living for the kingdom of God, your finances would look different, and you know it. And if you were really living for the kingdom of God, your service time would look different. So in the Lord's Prayer, this is the only prayer recorded of Jesus praying. He ends it. He puts the bookends on it by saying, your Father is in heaven. He's over all things. And by the way, it's about His glory, His kingdom, and His power. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. This might be the most powerful lesson you could ever learn. 
from, from Jesus when it comes to how to pray. Do you know what one of God's primary goals in your life is? Is to cut the lag time between when you get in trouble and when you kneel and start praying. He wants to cut the lag time between when you realize I'm in deep trouble and when you start to pray. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.